wonderful song selections, Ron, and wonderful words to those songs. See, just love that. Um, some of those hymns I hadn't sung in a long time. Is really am really thankful for each one of them. In the backstory too, I wasn't aware of that one. Acts eight thirty five. That's our text for today. The title of this message is Gospel Directives. Gospel Directives. Acts eight thirty five. Let me open with a word of prayer. Thankful for each one that's here and thankful for the time that we've had together so far this morning and looking forward to what we have before us today. Let's ask the Lord to bless. Father, I want to thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your people. Thank You for each one that's here. Thank You for uh, the guests we have today, Father. Uh, Thank You for Ron leading in music. Thank You for that missions moment, how powerful that was and what You're doing through that one individual, Father. I pray You continue to bless that ministry and... uh, and Father, as He has asked in that in that video, if the Holy Spirit's moving in our hearts to be a part of that, would You help us to act on that? And uh, just continue to bless, and uh, may we see many people come to faith in Christ. What a what a goal He has, Lord! And I thank You for that—a goal to take the gospel into all the earth. And that's the goal of the church today; hasn't changed. Thank You for that truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we look into our Bibles and we can see a, a whole bunch of heroes of the faith. Hey? In fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 outlines quite a few of them. Uh, it begins with, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. And it goes on to say that even after Abel's death, his voice still speaks. His faith still speaks. And we're going to be looking at a man today, Philip, who I believe his faith speaks as well. But these, these heroes of the faith, they weren't perfect people in Christ, perfected in Christ, but not perfect people, but people used of God. People who performed many acts of faith. And we see these figures standing tall. They stand tall before us. Hey, They do before me. I look at these heroes of the faith in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and other places, and you think, wow, these, these people really stand tall. They really stood for the Lord. And it's exciting to read of their victories. And we've been working our way through this book of Acts. Two weeks ago, we looked at a message that was entitled Gospel Distinctions, and I wanted to make the point that the gospel is set apart. It's a message like no other message in its purity it's undefiled in its power it's the power of god unto salvation the gospel is and in, in its perfections it it's the perfect plan of salvation when you when you think of what god has done to bring us to to a relationship with him there there couldn't be a more perfect plan of salvation there's no boasting in this plan of salvation it's perfect we have to lay all our pride aside and all our sin all our pride is taken away in the person of Jesus Christ. It's a perfect plan of salvation. The title of that message was Gospel Distinctions. The Gospel is a message that is set apart. Last week, the focus of the message there was God's heart for evangelism. That God is active in evangelism. We, see, we saw that in our text. Um, we, God has dispatched an angel and... And, and, and had uh, Philip go all the way to this desert place and these two guys meet up. We just saw that in our text last week. But as we've gone through uh, the book of Acts, we've seen that the gospel is central to this book. It's central. It just, it's just kept before us. The gospel 
and the presentations of the gospel and the responses to the gospel is central to the book of Acts. And it's central to our verse today, which is Acts 8.35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That's our text for today. Here in chapter 8, we find this man, this same man named Philip, operating by divine directives. And God provides this divine appointment for him. And so this, this title of this message is Gospel Directives. Gospel Directives. What's a directive? <laughs> what is a directive? I had to look it up in the dictionary. I knew it's the word I wanted to use, but I had to make sure I was using a word that made sense, right? A directive is an official or an authoritative instruction. An official or an authoritative instruction. The church has been given official, from the Lord, official and authoritative instruction with regard to the gospel. In Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We see Philip taking the gospel message toward the end of the earth. Of course, we haven't reached there yet. We saw that in our missions moment. In Matthew 28, 8, in 28, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. This is the gospel directive to take the gospel to all nations, to take the gospel to the world. And it goes, it, you can see what it goes on to say there, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, Jesus is still with us with regard to this directive. And that's what we're going to be looking at in a few minutes here. Mark 16, 15. Each one of the Gospels has some version of this. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the Gospel to the whole creation. It's to go out into all the earth. It's for everyone. The Gospel's for everyone. In Luke 24, 46-49, And He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. He links His finished work on the cross. He's saying that that's the Gospel, right? That's the content of the Gospel there. He says that message is to go into all the, all the earth. His name is to be proclaimed in all nations. And he goes on to say, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are closed with power from on high. In John's Gospel, now he doesn't kind of talk about it in those terms, he, he says this he, about the, the entirety of the Gospel of John, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's basically saying the gospel there. He's saying this, this whole gospel of John was written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Back to Acts 1.8. This was the commission given to the church. It's a directive, an official or authoritative instruction. And it was for sure given to the apostles. We see that. They were, giving, they were, given, they were given clear and consistent instruction clear and consistent instruction. And the instruction was to go. To go to the ends of the earth, to all the nations, to all creation. That's what the instruction was. And here in our text today, it says, then Philip opened his mouth. 
Then Philip opened his mouth. Here this instruction is given to the apostles. They're told, you're going to go, you're going to be my witnesses. Acts 1.8, Jesus is talking to those guys. Now Philip opens his mouth. Philip has something to say. And I want to look at this and, and make, make the assertion that Philip is authorized to do so. And then go from there to say that we are authorized to do so as well. And that's no small thing. So point number one, the gospel is a directive for the people of God. It is an official or, or an authoritative instruction for the people of God. Now it can be seen as you look at the pages of Scripture that from God's perspective, the gospel is not just one more claim among many. Hey? When you look at the Bible, you can see that the gospel, from God's perspective, is not just one claim, one more claim among a whole bunch of other claims. And it's not a small thing. It's, it's everything, right? From God's perspective. And it's, it is primarily spread by God's own people. By God's own people. They are the instrument God uses. The church has a message and a mandate. That's my point. The church has a message and it has a mandate for that message. That's my first point. The gospel is a directive for the people of God. This gospel directive went beyond the apostles. First with Stephen, who was stoned when he was preaching the gospel. And then to the scattered church in Acts 8.4, it says they were scattered and they went about everywhere preaching the word when they were scattered. And then now we're, we see Philip there. We see Philip here rather. In Acts 8.25, Philip has preached the message in Samaria and the apostles have come because uh, Peter and John have come, sent by the rest of the apostles because they heard that the Samaritans were receiving the gospel, and in 825 it says, So then, so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. They came, they confirmed the message that Philip preached, so the gospel directive filtered down from the apostles to Philip, and where we're going with this, it comes right to us today. It's the same directive, an official or an authoritative instruction. It's consistent with all those verbal instructions that we just looked at that I had up on the screen there. Philip was sent, so Philip went. And we saw that last time. The Lord had dispatched an angel to direct an evangelist, to delay a chariot, and all of that was done for what purpose? To deliver a message. All of that was done to deliver a message. So it says, then Philip opened his mouth. That, that little word then in Acts 8.35 this is in the NAS. Then Philip opened his mouth. That's a time stamp for me. Philip's not there on his own authority. He's directed, been directed by the Holy Spirit and he's sensitive to God's timing. Then Philip opened his mouth. A point in time came where there was an opportunity ordained by God and it was a divine appointment. When Philip opens his mouth to speak, what comes out? He could have met someone 
the day before and made arrangements to stay in someone's home, he might have been talking about those arrangements. He could have uh, met someone along the way and they could have talked about the weather or something like that that day. But here, there is this divine appointment. He's come to proclaim this message to this man. So when Philip opens his mouth, what comes out? He proclaims good news unto him of Jesus. He evangelizes him. The word there for preach in Acts 8.35, beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus unto him. That word preached is evangelized. He evangelized unto him. He proclaimed good news unto him. That's what he was doing. Proclaiming good news. Just think about that a little bit. What does that reveal about Philip's heart? Hey, Jesus says in Matthew 12.34, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When I first came to faith in Christ, you couldn't keep me from talking about Jesus, right? You couldn't shut me up about Jesus. I was so excited about Jesus. And, and, and we meet folks like that. They're just so excited about Jesus. But Jesus entered into their heart. There's this new experience of sharing Jesus. You just can't help but love being around folks that have just come to faith in Christ. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When Philip opens his mouth, he preaches Jesus unto him. What does that reveal about his heart? He's got Jesus stored up in his heart. Uh, Jesus says in Luke 6.45, the good man brings good things out of the good things. Wait a minute. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Philip had stored up some things. Eh? He stored up this good thing in his heart. Good things about Jesus. He had that stored up. There was a reserve of that. Um, you can get to the end of that reserve, Right? <laughs> Sometimes I can feel that way myself. You're to the end of that reserve. You're exhausted. You've been involved with spiritual things and there's just no gas left in the tank. But Philip has a reserve there. He's stored up good things about Jesus in his heart and it's going to come out. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. He has a relationship a vibrant relationship with Jesus. He has a love for God and a love for people. That's the two greatest commandments, isn't it? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, all your mind and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. And Philip is fulfilling them as he's moving forward in obedience. He has this love for God put there by the Holy Spirit. This Ethiopian... Is a wealthy man? Philip probably is not. This Ethiopian is of a different race than Philip. He, he's, he's in his chariot and, and he's there reading something. Philip could have said, I don't want to bother that guy. He's reading something. I don't want to disturb him. But the Holy Spirit said, go, and he, and he went. And when you think about that, what was he storing up in heaven? He stored up good things in his heart regarding Jesus. He was storing up for himself treasures in heaven. He stored up good things in his heart about Jesus. And that enabled him to store up for himself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. I really like my pickup truck. I was teasing Cindy about it the other day. She doesn't like my truck. I don't know why. <laughs> but I like my truck. It's a ratty old truck, but, but I like it. But it's fallen apart, right? The radiator started leaking the other day. I had to put some goop on there. It's sealed. But everything just falls apart, hey? 
just falls apart. It, it doesn't last. If, if you could have everything your mind ever imagined you might want to have in your life, anything, just lay it all out before you, you can't take it to the grave with you, and it's falling apart anyway. It, it's just more responsibility. The older I get, the smaller house I want. I don't, I don't want to have so much to take care of. But nothing, nothing prevented Philip from coming up and, 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 and speaking to this guy. None of those differences that he might have had with this guy. He came up and shared the gospel with him. The gospel is for everyone. So we see that this gospel directive extends to Philip. Well, how about us? The gospel directive that still applies to the church today. We have a license to spread the word of the gospel. This last week, I had to go and get, every five years, because I drive hazardous materials, I have to go and get fingerprinted, thumbprinted and fingerprinted on both hands so the federal government can say, yeah, that guy can drive a truck because he's not crazy or something. I don't know why they do it exactly. But because I did that, went through that process, I retained my license to, to drive that truck, right? And I had to go take a test for the license in another way as well. As believers, we have the license to spread the Word of God, the Gospel. We are licensed to do that very thing. If you're thinking, I'm not sure that's for me, I'm telling you, with this, it is. You have the stamp of approval. You have the license. If you've come to faith in Christ, you can do this. You can spread the Gospel. You can share the message. You can share the Gospel. You're licensed to do so. It's official. The church today has an authorization to act on the clear instruction to evangelize the world. In Ephesians 4, 4, it says there is one body, one spirit, and we've been called to one hope. There's one Lord and one faith. The same faith these New Testament believers came to, these first century believers came to, is the same faith I came to, the same faith you came to, the same faith we invite others to come to. There's one body. There's one baptism. There's one spirit. There's one faith. There's one. They didn't, they didn't receive another faith than we did. Now, Paul speaks to the Philippians in Philippians 2.16. He, uh, he talks about holding forth the word of life to the Philippian believers there. Hold forth the word of life. They are to evangelize the word. In Jude verse 3, it says, Jude writes and says, he's earnestly, he asks them to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all, once for all, handed down to the saints. This gospel directive, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That, that truth that filtered down from Jesus to the apostles to Philip and to Stephen and to the first century church comes right to us. It's the same gospel directive. An official and authoritative instruction to go and to proclaim the message to the world. We, we, we partake of the same communion. We, we, took, we partook of communion last Sunday. What a sweet time that was after having a, a month or two off. But it's a remembrance of Christ. Hey? And it's also a proclamation of His death until He comes. The Lord hasn't returned yet. We're to be about His business. We're to be about His business. 
Now, I started this message with this thought of the great heroes of the faith, and we, we see them and they stand tall as they move forward in obedience with the, with the information they were given. We can do the same. We have the opportunity to do the same. There's a clear directive to the church to proclaim the gospel. We have a message and we have a mandate to proclaim it, to evangelize the world. And not only the authority to give the message, but the church has been entrusted with an authoritative message in and of itself. The message has an authority to it. It is authoritative. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death and the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You stand condemned before a holy God, but God's provided a way for you to be saved through His Son. Jesus uh, was sinless, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death, God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I think that's 2 Corinthians 5.21 if I'm remembering right. But, but it's an authoritative message. Sometimes we can shy away from that or maybe could shy away from that thought that the message has authority and we have the authority or the license to deliver the message that has authority and it's a message of authority for the whole world. Back to that thought for over the last couple of weeks, there's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of stresses right now in the world. You see what's going on in the news. I can't hardly believe, I was saying just a few months ago, I can't even keep up with the news. I stopped watching it. Now look what's going on. I definitely can't keep up with it. I don't even want to watch it. All that stuff's going on, but our directive hasn't changed. Our mandate hasn't changed. Our mandate hasn't changed. And just as we saw Philip directed into the desert, we can't map those things out. I'm sure Philip didn't wake up the day before he was directed in the desert and thought, you know what, I think tomorrow I'm going to go on the road to Gaza and I'm going to meet an Ethiopian eunuch. He didn't have that mapped out. He went forward with the direction he had. You know, the movement of the Holy Spirit is likened to the wind. You don't know from where it comes and you don't know where it's going. And the Holy Spirit moves like that. We can't map that out. But we can be obedient with the truth that's right in front of us. We can be obedient in the place God has us today. You know, Philip had stored those things up in his heart. That idea of storing up is to set aside for future use. Uh, reading your Bible, uh, coming to Sunday school, coming to evening service, being around God's people when those opportunities are there enables us to set aside for future use things that we can share with unbelievers. I love being around with saints that have walked with the Lord longer than I have, and there's a few of them in here. I love to hear their depth of insight. I love to have some of what they have rub off on me. <laughs> I just love that. And, and, and that takes when that takes place, it helps for us to store up some things that we can share with others. We grow in our relationship with the Lord. You know, by God's design, he, he, he's, he's made the church what it is. 
And the writer of Hebrews says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I don't know about you guys, but it seems like the day's approaching awfully fast, doesn't it? We need to be encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. You know, from, from the perspective of Philip, he's a vessel fit for a noble purpose. And, and as believers, we can be more or less fit for use. Paul writes to Timothy, and he's talking about some things with, he, he's sharing some things with Timothy, but in 2 Timothy 2.21, he says, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now the latter there, Maybe a mixture of false doctrine or any other wickedness. But we can be more or less fit for use by the Master. Hey, It's, it's a reality. And from the perspective of this Ethiopian eunuch, he'd gone all that way, more than a thousand miles to worship, with thoughts of God on his mind. He's interested in theology. And he's studying this section of Scripture. A portion of, he has a portion of the Bible in front of him. And he comes to this crossroads. It's not really a crossroads because for Philip and the Ethiopian, they're both on the same road. But he comes to a crossroads between where he's been and where he's going. That's the crossroads. It just, for me, it speaks to the, this thought when the truth intersects with the road you're on. Hey? When the truth of God intersects with the road you're on. It's somewhere, always somewhere between where you've been and where you're heading. And God can do a wonderful work there. When you're confronted with the person of Jesus, what are you going to do? We see this Ethiopian eunuch responds in faith. Scripture tells us today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Well, anyhow, we have this gospel directive. It was given to the apostles, extended down to the first century church, and it comes to us as well. It's the same directive. We have a message and we have a mandate. Verse 35 goes on to say, it says this, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this Scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And beginning from this Scripture, the directive we have is consistent with the entirety of the Bible. That's my second point. The directive we have is not inconsistent with any of the Bible. It's consistent with the entirety of the Bible, and it's beautiful. With the whole counsel of God. The Gospel is consistent with the whole counsel of God. The content of the Gospel, uh, Paul shares with the Corinthians. He says, this I deliver to you as of, as of first importance, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried according to the scriptures, and that he was that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by many. He goes on to say that as well. Jesus is alive, but but the directive, the gospel directive, is consistent with the whole counsel of God. It's per- perfectly consistent with all of Scripture. The section of Scripture that Philip begins with is from Isaiah 53. I can't think of a more perfect section of Scripture for this Ethiopian eunuch to be in. And just back up to verse 32. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. 
beginning from this Scripture, Philip preached Christ unto him. You have to think about what did he say? I'm putting myself in Philip's shoes. What am I going to say to this man? I hear him reading this Scripture. I ask him, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, no. How can I unless someone guides me? And then he invites Philip up into the chariot. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, when I'm getting up in that chariot, I'm already thinking, what am I going to say to this guy? And the Holy Spirit moves in your mind and you say, this Scripture speaking of Jesus who was before Pontius Pilate and he didn't say a word. And Pilate says to him, can't you hear all the charges they're bringing against you? Don't you have anything to say? And he stands there silent, sinless, no need to respond to the charges because he was absolutely, perfectly, purely sinless. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? Or who can speak of his descendants? Who can speak of... He was cut off from the land of the living. He had no descendants. Natural descendants. For his life was removed from the earth. And does he take him back to Isaiah 53, verse 1, where it says, For who has, who has believed our message? For whom has believed our message? And does he say to the Ethiopian eunuch, I've got a message to share with you. And I'm going to ask you whether or not you believe it when I'm done. Who has believed our message? And this is just the beginning point. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This arm of the Lord, it's Jesus. It's Jesus that you're looking for. He's preaching the gospel from the Old Testament. That's what Philip is doing. He's preaching the gospel from the Old Testament. This passage is directly messianic or prophetic of Jesus. So Philip begins with that passage. He, he preaches Jesus from Scripture to the world and from the heart. Evangelism from the Old Testament. The Old Testament isn't just for Jewish people. It's, it's for us as well, hey? The church has a message and a mandate. The message did not originate with us. And Philip knew the Word of God and how to share the good news from the starting point of the Old Testament. Jesus says, I think to the Pharisees in John 5.39, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are they which testify of Me. When He's on the road to Emmaus with those disciples, he's after His resurrection, He says in Luke 24.27, and it says, of, it says of Him, and beginning with, the, with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them all that was said of Him in those Scriptures. He explained to them all that was said of Him. Just, just take a walk through in your mind with regard to the Old Testament. What do you see of Jesus in Genesis? He was the Word at creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You come to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say, nothing that was created was created without Him. Go to Exodus. What do you see of Jesus in Exodus? Freedom from bondage. The Passover lamb. The blood that was shed and put over the, the, the doorposts and the lentils, the lentils, whatever you, whatever you the side posts and the, in the doorpost. 
the blood that was shed. Go to Leviticus and what do you see there? Yeah, I don't know why I forgot that when I had to look at my notes. The whole sacrificial system is pointing to Jesus. Every single one of the sacrifices. It's all pointing to Jesus. Go to Numbers, and what do you see there? The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Go to Deuteronomy, and he's the prophet that was greater than Moses that was to come. Go to Joshua, and he's the, he's the one that leads the people into the promised land. We're going to have to skip a few here. We're not going to do 66 books. Go to Ruth, and he's the kinsman redeemer, right? Go to Ecclesiastes, and he's the meaning of life. Solomon seeks meaning in life. He seeks after this, and he seeks after that, and he seeks after that, and he tries this, and he tries that. He tries wine. He tries building projects. He tries everything. It's meaningless. There's no point to it. Jesus is the real meaning of life there. Go to Isaiah. Where do you see Jesus in Isaiah? In Isaiah chapter 6, he is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. In Isaiah 7.14, He is Emmanuel, God with us. In Isaiah 9.6, He is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. You go to Isaiah 42 and He's the Savior. You go to Daniel and He's the fourth man in the fire. The one that's like the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Go to Joel, and he's the restorer of, the, of all those things that the locusts ate. Go to Micah, and he's the everlasting ruler born in Bethlehem. Go to Zechariah, and he's the pierced son. Go to Malachi, and he is the son of righteousness. There, S-U-N, but he is the S-O-N, son of righteousness. Go to the Gospel of Matthew, and he's the king of the Jews. The Gospel of Mark, he's the son of God. Go to Luke, he is the Savior born to us. Go to John, he's the Word who became flesh. All of Scripture is pointing to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You go a lot of different ways with Scripture. You can make a lot of different points, but it's all about our Lord. It's all about Jesus. It's all pointing to the cross. It's all pointing to His finished work there and His resurrection and His ascension. It's all about Jesus. Beginning with this Scripture, it says in verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and what comes out? Beginning from this Scripture, he preached Jesus to him. He goes to the Old Testament and he preaches Jesus to him. When God says in the Old Testament, I am God and there is no other, there's not multiple gods. What do we do with Jesus? Jesus must be God. Or He can't be worshipped. We can't sing His praises. He must be God. He's God incarnate. He's all over the place. It's all about Him. The church has been given a mandate and a message. A message and a mandate to deliver that message. A directive. An official and authoritative instruction. And we can go to the whole Word of God and preach Jesus. The third point. The directive, the official or authoritative, or authoritative instruction is to do that very thing. Is to preach Christ. It's, that is the gospel mandate. That is the directive. That is the command. That is the commission to proclaim Him. The last part of our verse. Beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus 
unto him. You know, there are three things that testify of Jesus in Acts chapter 8. There's probably more than that, but Philip does. Philip testifies of Jesus. The Holy Spirit does through Philip. And the Scriptures do as well. But I got to thinking about this. How long of a list could we make of all the things that he did not preach unto him? How long of a list could you make of all the things Philip did not preach unto him? Philip the evangelist. He goes and preaches Jesus unto him. How long of a list of things could you write that he did not preach unto him? And the list gets pretty long once you start writing it. Some things Philip didn't preach to him. He didn't preach politics to him. He didn't do that. I've always been interested in politics personally since I was 13 years old. I've been interested in politics. I don't know why, but I, that's not the mandate the church has been given. He didn't preach politics to him. He didn't preach psychology to him. He didn't get, try to get inside his brain and, and mess around in there. He preached Jesus unto him. He didn't preach philosophy to him. Let me tell you what this guy thinks and that guy thinks and let me tell you what I think. I've been philosophizing about this for years. Let me tell you what I think. He didn't do that. He preached Jesus unto him. He didn't preach philanthropy to him. I tell you what, Ethiopian eunuch, give all your riches to me and I'll distribute them and we will be philanthropists and from that, God will have to accept it. He didn't do that. He preached Jesus unto him. He didn't, treat, he didn't preach phonics unto him. The study of words. He didn't preach that. He preached Jesus unto him. He, he preached no isms and no schisms. And I want to be so bold as to say this. He didn't preach Philip unto him. Philipism. He didn't preach Paul unto him. He didn't preach Peter unto him. And I'm going to go on from there. He didn't preach Kelvin unto him. He didn't preach Arminius unto him. He didn't preach your favorite radio preacher unto him. He preached Jesus unto him. That's who he preached. He preached Jesus. That's who this man needed to encounter was Jesus. How washed away that has gotten in, in, in modern day Christianity. We're preaching everything to people. Listen to this and listen to that. He preached Jesus unto him. Not anything but Jesus. He didn't preach Luther unto him. He preached Jesus. And we could go on, but I probably shouldn't. There's a whole bunch of messed up theology. We talked about one this morning. He didn't preach total inability to him. He preached Jesus to him. That's who he preached. He preached Jesus unto him. He didn't say you're unable to come to Jesus. He preached Jesus unto him and said, come, come. You're seeking the Lord, you come. That's what he preached. It's plain as day. It's obvious. It's all over the place. When we see these people in the New Testament proclaiming Christ, what are they doing? They're saying, come. They're not putting up a wall. They're not narrowing the field and saying, you can't come, you can't come. They're widening and saying, come, come, come. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a wide open, wide open invitation. He preached Jesus unto him. Jesus was displayed publicly for a reason. It's a wide open invitation. When you see that man there on the cross in your mind's eye, and he, there he is pierced, pierced in his hands and pierced in his feet. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? 
Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's paying the price I can't pay. He's making a way. And He's making it public. He made it public. He bridged the gap between heaven and earth. He preached Jesus on him. Philip preached Jesus. No isms, no schisms. Not Philip, not Paul, not Peter. No one else. He preached Jesus unto him. When Philip explains this passage of Scripture to this man, what is it this Ethiopian eunuch hears? He hears about Jesus. That's what he hears about. When Philip, under divine directive, opens his mouth, what is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Everything I said is not a knock on sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is extraordinarily important. But the soundest doctrine of all is that he preached Jesus unto him. There's a way made for sinners to have a relationship with God. And it's throughout Scripture. We, I mentioned that this morning in Sunday School and Well. Isaiah 118. Hey, Adriana, 118. Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your skins, though your sins, though your skins, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Well, how is that possible? I read that before coming to faith in Christ. I thought, how is that possible? I know my sins are like scarlet. How can my sins be made white as snow? Jesus. That was meant to be loud, apparently. Jesus. That's how. Not through my intellect. Through Jesus. Not through some modern day philosopher. Through Jesus. How simple the Gospel truly is. A four-year-old can understand it. A 94-year-old can understand it. It is simple. It is simple. It is simple. God has not made it complicated. I saw a woman sitting on the ground snapping beans in a country far away that didn't speak the language I spoke. And I could speak through the interpreter. And when she got the Gospel message, she didn't have to say her word because her eyes went, boom. It's a simple message. So simple that can happen. How complicated we make it. Look now. I want to close with the results here. We got to get moving along. Look at the results here. He preaches Jesus unto him, and what happens? As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, "Look, water. What prevents me from being baptized?" In that preaching of Jesus, Philip must have said, "People are coming to faith in Jesus. They're identifying with Him. They're being baptized in water. I did that." The eunuch sees water and says, look, water, dunk me in there. What keeps me that? Why can't I do that? And what's Philip's answer? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, in other words, if this is the real deal, that's what he's saying. If you've truly trusted in, in the Lord, if you're not just playing games with yourself and with me, nothing. In fact, you ought to do it. I'm going with you. 
And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is a mouthful. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When Jesus was walking the earth and they were going to stone him, for which of these wonderful things are you stoning me? For none of them. But because you claim, because you, but because you call yourself the Son of God, making yourself equal with God, he's saying, I believe in the deity of Jesus Christ and his ability to save me. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ordered the chariot to stop. This is a prominent man. He doesn't care who's watching. He's probably got some fancy duds on, right? He probably knows how to wear them. I don't know how to tie this tie half the time. This guy's dressed to the nines probably. Stop the chariot. It's probably not a beautiful flowing spring-fed creek. It's probably some muddy stuff it's in the middle of the desert. I don't know what water source it is. Maybe it, maybe it's a maybe it's a Maybe it's an oasis. Maybe it's a beautiful, clear blue. I don't know. I'm getting in that water. I'm going to identify with this one who has saved me. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. They go down into the water. They come back up out of the water. They, they dunk it. He dunks them in there. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The job was done. The gospel came. The eunuch believed. He's baptized. Time for Philip the evangelist to move on. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went away, went on his way rejoicing. Of course he did. Just like when I first first trusted Christ, I was just rejoicing. I had to tell someone about it. You can't believe what happened. I remember the first time I heard a young guy tell us, our son Dan had had a little buddy, had a little buddy, well, big buddy now, he was, a, he was a little guy, and he came over our house, house one day. Uh, he moved far away, and we were going to go do something with him, and he got out in our van, and we're starting to drive up our driveway, and I said, hey, Josh, what you been doing this year since we've seen you last? He goes, I got saved. He had to tell someone, I got saved. What do you think this eunuch did when he goes back to Africa? I got saved, and let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Maybe he began with that same passage of Scripture. He saved me, a eunuch, who is not going to have an offspring, is not going to have a generation coming after me. And Jesus is just like that. He didn't have a generation coming after him because he was cut off from the land of living. Why was he cut off? For me, because of my iniquity. And where would he go from there? What a wonderful thought, just thinking about what he would have proclaimed when he got back to Kansas. The queen there. Verse 40, but Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. There it is, the gospel directive, and he's just fulfilling it. He's just going around. He's come way south toward, on the road toward Gaza, and he's going up along the, the shoreline there, the Mediterranean. He's going to preach in all those towns heading up to Caesarea by the sea, or not Caesarea, Philippi. He's preaching Jesus, proclaiming Jesus. We have the same mandate. That's the point of this message. There are gospel directives. We have the same mandate, the same message, and we can preach Jesus from anywhere. You can preach Jesus from anywhere in Scripture, really. I, I believe you can. From any book of the Bible, certainly, we can preach Jesus. And it's the message, it's an authoritative message the world needs to hear. The world maybe doesn't want to hear it. <laughs> Don't give me that. And there is a, there is a, 
point here to be made with, with regard to waiting on the Lord's timing, Philip did that. We ought to do that as well, to be sensitive to that, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading and not charge in in our own way. We've got to close. Let's close here. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Bless this word to your people. And to my heart as well. Father, may, may we be found, each one of us, this week proclaiming Jesus to someone that needs to hear about him. It's not a complicated message, Lord. Give us the words to say and uh, bless us this week. Help us to be storing up treasures in heaven and storing up good things in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray for his glory. Amen.